You're listening to All Things Video. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed Chrome extension helps with everything from bulk metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Our team at Bent Pixels uses TubeBuddy to manage channels for major brands like SeaWorld and Live Nation, as well as celebrities like Kevin Hart and Joe Rogan. They absolutely rave about the product, and I'm sure you'll love it too. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today we're joined by a special co-host, Luke Wang. Luke and I are excited to welcome Shira Lazar, co-founder and host of What's Trending. Shira, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That was very official. (laughs) How did you initially find your way into the online video space? Oh, wow. Well... I came into the online video space at a time where I guess I could have gone to traditional and the TV space. I wasn't really getting those jobs at the time. Like I was trying to audition for TV shows and and TV gigs, and I was getting to the point of screen testing, and this was when I was focusing on the on-air side of things. And so for me, digital and online video was a way to work on my craft and just work and not wait at the time. This was before YouTube even. This was like in 2005 when I, it was after I graduated and I realized I loved doing on-air work, but yeah, I wasn't getting the jobs. And then when I was building up my on-air reel to get an agent and all that type of stuff, I met some people that were working at wireimage.com at the time and they were launching their video division. And so I started working with them and interviewing celebrities on the red carpet. So I ended up being on, on the place on the red carpet that had all the other websites. And that's how I started to meet a lot of the dot-coms that were emerging in Los Angeles. And then because of me, I guess, doing that and people seeing my work, people started connecting me to web stuff. And so other founders who wanted to get into video for their site would be like, Hey, Shira, like I see you do this web stuff. Like maybe you could do a video for my website. And then that connected me at the time. Actually, uh, this guy, Jason Nazar, who started DocStock, which is since sold, who's a big figure in the LA tech scene. He was like, yeah, you should come with me um, to the Valley. I'm going to be going to this Michael Arrington's event that TechCrunch does in TechCrunch at the time. This is like old school before it got acquired. And so I was kind of growing at this intersection between the tech scene and then what was happening in LA and the emergence of tech as well. And then which then translated and moved into video and social media and all that stuff. So it was a very interesting way to get going. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like you've seen a huge evolution in, in what is happening. Yeah. In so I'm like, what happened with you? Like I saw things in the beginning. So you're like, could I have done more with that, <laughs> that insight? <laughs> But yeah, it's been very interesting. And that's why it's interesting even to see kind of YouTube stars or influencers now, like just get going and get sign their first agent and host this for the first time or that. And then I have to remind myself that, oh, I did that like three years ago. Like, oh, I hosted the Grammys first ever live stream. I hosted the Oscars first ever live stream. But for me now, it's like, how do I keep challenging myself and reaching new heights? And just because I did it doesn't mean I don't want to do it again, but you, you want to do new iterations of that. Yeah, I think the crazy thing is like you mentioned when you first started, that was only like 10 years ago, but it seems like you've had multiple lifetimes worth of experience. Oh my God, I have cat lives. I mean, like I have cat lives. Ways you've had to sort of like adopt different platforms and like reinvent your brand. It's all that kind tiring. Of stuff. Yeah. I'm like I'm tired. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so no, I'm kidding. I, even if I, I was 
not doing this or running a company. I would do what I'm doing in a, just a different way. Right. Like, I think I would always be in the startup storytelling world. Like I would always find new ways to be in innovation and media and storytelling. Maybe I wouldn't like the grind wouldn't be as intense as it is right now, but I don't think I would ever stop. And I love even personally, I love vlogging and taking pictures of my life and sharing it with people and finding new ways to be part of different conversations. So yeah. And how did that develop? Is that an interest you've kind of always had or just... Yeah, I was an actor, performer when I was younger, but then I kind of rebelled against it in high school. I signed with a manager who actually ended up representing like Jay Baruchel and Emily Van Kamp. And then it was me. (laughs) Maybe I should have gone down that route. (laughs) But I went to like a program when I was in high school to study directing. I just got like, whenever I think that with me, whenever I started doing something and feeling I was being judged or being like a puppet, I would rebel against it. Like the stubborn side of me would be like, no, like I, I should be empowered and I want to control my own destiny. And so that's how I started getting more into the production and producing side of things and um, being a master of my own destiny. But then I guess on air and broadcasting and interviewing and hosting ended up being like a part of that performance side that I really loved. Um, so I've always intertwined, I guess, uh, my life and then, publicly who I wanted to be because I, I, I try to find less and less of a gap most people are performers are like well there's my on-air side and who I am who I portray on YouTube now or social media and then there's who I am and for me I find the more I lessen that gap the more authentic I am as a person the more of a th- an authentic life I'm living right it seems like it'd be tough to kind of separate your behind the scenes and all the stuff you're doing running the company and, and being the producer with kind of the stuff you're doing in front of the camera, being the primary host and, and talent. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't, you know, it's nice when I'm hired to host something. Like I literally just drop in, I'm talent, I'm taking care of. It feels like I make the comparison of I'm always hosting people at my house, like dinners, and I'm always the host of a dinner party and then being invited somewhere else. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to get dressed up. I'm not going to think about it. And so there's something nice about that. You know, sometimes it's a love-hate relationship of like all the responsibilities and you just want to simplify things. And the more you simplify things, the less drama there is, the less overseeing. Because there's stuff I love about this, like the creative aspect, the connecting of people and ideas, the innovation part of it, the being part of something new and all of that, which is happening right now. And then there's like the nitty gritty of running your own business, like hiring and HR and all that. (laughs) And like, I love like, I love uh, inspiring my team. Like, yes, let's do it. I don't want to, it's like, you don't want to be there for the dark side, (laughs) which is like, I guess like even having, if you had kids or relationships in general, like that flies in all those. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. So sometimes that could be a, a downer, you know, like you could have a good week where everything's flowing and you're talking advertisers and you're coming up with fun ideas and your views are up. You're like, yeah. And you, you remind yourself like, this is awesome. You enter your office or like I'll, I'll enter my studio and be like, wow, this is so amazing. I feel this gratitude to have this. And then there'll be other weeks and you have someone who's like quitting and then someone who's like missing a few days and sick and you're like, and everyone's hitting you up. Like, what do we do now? And you're like, why? That is the emotional roller coaster that is startup life. Yeah, so. And creator. I don't know why I'm surprised. creator life. Yeah, it's true. But I don't know why I keep on being surprised. It's like I forget. This has happened constantly. I've been doing this since 2011. And it's like, why am I surprised that this is happening? 
And yet, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something like I black it all out. You repress those. <laughs> I repress those, and I'm like, whoa, this is new. So tell us more <laughs> about the business. You started What's Trending in April 2011. Yeah, it started out as a live weekly talk show, and we had our dot-com and our social streams at the time, but really it was that like once-a-week appointment viewing, and we were live streaming on all these different platforms, so not just... YouTube at the time. Then in 2012, we did a deal with YouTube to go live daily uh, to test out that feature. And I just don't, I think we realized like, okay, appointment viewing on YouTube is difficult, let alone like a live daily show. Young Turks do it amazingly, but you know, I think they they even see like their day-to-day versus when it's the political season. It's like it's some programming. It works for a certain time or event. Of course, Coachella, or like if the president's doing some something, you know, these are big moments. I do think it's more difficult when you're doing that day to day and within YouTube structure. I mean, they're not a lot, you know, your subscribers barely even get pinged when you're live streaming. So there's always been that issue. So from there, we went more to short form uh, video on YouTube, which we found more success in. And then, of course, as all these other platforms have emerged for video. Who knew? Now we're, we are trying to figure out how do we strategize our content natively around those places like, you know, Facebook specifically right now, Twitter, and how do we become diversified so we're not just relying necessarily even on YouTube, but other distribution platforms for monetization, as well as our own website, which has always been that thing that, you know, when we put effort and money into it, it would grow. But, you know, you need to put those resources to it. Right. to make it thrive. What originally inspired the, the first show back in 2011? I was covering digital trends and internet culture for cbsnews.com as a vlogger. And I guess seeing the success around that and at the time the emergence of these like viral video stars like Antoine Dodson and Double Rainbow Man, like the 15 seconds or whatever, <laughs> seconds or minutes of totally fame. Totally forgot about this. Yeah, guys. like those one-off stars, which became the, the, like these human interest stories. Mm-hmm. And then the emergence of these social media stars and I felt at the time, now it's a totally different scenario, but traditional media wasn't really giving them love or the spotlight they deserved. And even when they did, it was very inauthentic and weird and disconnected. And so for me, this it was a show by the internet for the internet. And then at the time, because YouTube stars weren't even around yet, it was like more viral, vi- viral stars. It was putting a face to the people you were following on Twitter. So bring them to life within a conversation, within a studio. And it was broadcast quality, which at the time also, I think, you know, now premium video and high def and all that, like high quality video is normal. <laughs> we don't, I don't think we differentiate. There is a bit of, there is a differentiating factor between TV and digital video, but not really. It's like video is video. Yeah. I mean, I think that's hard not to remember. Yeah, yeah, I think, no. you know, kind of seeing the guy with the Vans. Who was that? Dan guy? Daniel. Dan Daniel with the Vans. Yeah. He was like on Ellen recently and it seems like the walls or, or the. Well, that's something like in the past I would have maybe approached him like Ellen and right. morning shows would have been like, we'll wait on that story in like a week or so. So right. I always got the exclusive. Now, of course, they jump on it and then they like make them sign an NDA and like exclusivity. Like you won't talk or be on any other show or anything. So like I'll reach out to some of these people and they'll be like, well, I told someone and you're like, Oh, there's only a few people. It could be Kimmel, Fallon, Ellen, a morning show. And then right after that, I'll like literally an hour later, they can do an interview with me. 
Yeah, I was gonna I say, like, how does yeah. that sort of is, does it elevate your business? Is it more competitive? Just the fact that all these traditional yeah. companies are sort of yeah, yeah. But I, I think it. that they're still it's not part of their core DNA, so it's still just like an accessory to what they do. It's not like Ellen's like yeah. I mean, Ellen's totally different. But I think in general, some of these traditional companies, it's like a vertical to what they do, not the core. And so we're a company that this is part of our core. Mm-hmm. And so it just it changes the way we approach it day to day and how we cover it and how I, I believe those creators and talent look at us. So even if we might not be as big or we haven't scaled as big as some of these other companies, they'll still do content with us because of our past in this community. Right. So we go deep. And it sounds like you have a lot of experience spanning that gap between traditional and digital. So try. What, what, are the, what are the primary differences or what have you observed when working with, you know, both in both worlds? Yeah, I think that traditional is excited now. Obviously, they see the value of all this stuff. Five years later. <laughs> yeah, some of them have still a lot of money. And so that excites me because I'm like, okay, good. All the stuff I've been trying to do or I want to do more of or at a higher quality. Well, maybe not. I can experiment with better formats with those partners and new ideas that I haven't been able to do on my own. So that excites me. And then leverage all of their other things, whether it be PR and marketing and media, to blow it out. So that excites me. The thing is, you know, getting everyone on the same page. I had a show with VH1, a series that, in essence, like the idea was there. It was a good concept. But then once it got put through the filter of like multiple layers of politics and traditional thinking, it ended up something a bit different on the other side. And so that kind of sucks because it's still on me. Like then people still look at it as a representation of me. And while they know, oh, I'm sure there was stuff that you had to deal with and it wasn't maybe your original idea, it's still, you know, it's mine. It's a reflection. So, yeah, it's a reflection of our brand. So that was a frustrating thing. Yeah, we did this thing called Huge. It was uh, Huge on the Tube. And like we had other even titles for that. It was like kind of going to be like a behind the music for YouTube stars with VH1. And the whole group of people that approved it and got it going ended up being fired. It was like that when the exodus at VH1 happened a year Mm -hmm. ago. And so that sucked. So it went from everything from the title to the distribution plan. They were like, oh, everyone's into binge viewing now. And I'm like, yeah, binge viewing at a scripted high quality, like house of cards. Like no offense to me, but this is not house of cards or love on Netflix. Like this is, you know, non-scripted. And secondly, why don't, you know, if we're going to leverage all your other platforms, let's make it the week of Jenna Marbles, the week of Grace Helbig instead of every day. Like I couldn't even keep up with the marketing of it, (laughs) you know? So that was frustrating because then we had 12 episodes and then it was over after 12 days. You're like, well, there that goes. It seems like they're still coming at it from a very traditional point of view. Sometimes. I think it just depends on the person. I think internally there's a lot of battles that are ahead and you really need someone who's going to protect the original idea and see your vision. And I think if you don't have someone that's a leader on that and these traditional companies representing you properly, yeah, they'll just like be like, sorry, I had to give in. And that's when I think you see things not working out. Do you see your role as educating people about the digital space? I try to. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not going to fight someone and be like, because then what, what, do you, what do you do? I mean, even in those conversations, I had an instinct and I mentioned it enough times and I, I had to say it at a certain point, I, I said, listen, Nan, this is yours, but just letting you know, I've mentioned this mm-hmm. and giving everyone a heads up. <laughs> so if it doesn't work in this way, there's a reason and I let you guys know. 
And so now it's like, you it kind of takes me. Yeah. Like, Sometimes I do that and I won't try to be bullish like an asshole about it. I'm just trying to be like, I, this is what I believe in. And there's some people that look at what I've done and my background and will be like, okay, yeah, we, we respect your opinion and others just won't listen. So I don't know. So I bet I, you know, whether it be a traditional media publishers or brands, I think brands, it's an interesting conversation too. how, you know, working with them and getting them to figure out how to do all this stuff and work with this space. I think that there's a lot of debates between paid influencer stuff and non-paid because all of us have had the experience of doing stuff with influencers and, oh, just providing them with a killer experience and then them amplifying things and promoting your brand. But I think we're just like in a different place right now. So it's a balancing act. Why has that changed? Well, because they all have, you know, agents and managers and this is what they do for a living. So if they're going to spend that half day or day at your event promoting, like, it depends what it is. If it's something that they really love and this is a building moment to build a relationship with the brand for a deal that could come, you know, I get it. But, you know, so I had one brand come to my boyfriend and I, and it's a brand that I work with a lot. And they said, okay, we're going to provide you with this crazy weekend in LA, Justin Bieber concert. And like my boyfriend plays Justin Bieber a bunch. So he was Mm -hmm. like, I'm down. And, but we want to do an Instagram takeover. And I go, okay, listen, if, if you were asking just for us to be like experience the weekend, we'll do love, give us the hashtag, let us know who we should tag. We would have done that. The fact that you're asking for him to, to take over your Instagram, that's like a job. That's this. It's like asking me or, or asking them to do PR for us for free. They wouldn't do that. So, like, that's where I'm at the disconnect, where the disconnect is. You got to draw the line somewhere. It's what? interesting because yeah. Luke and I were actually talking about this before the episode today is that we agree creators have evolved beyond just being individual talent to becoming networks almost in their own right. Yeah. They have an audience. They're producing the content. They're distributing and monetizing that content. And they're, they're doing work. It's a full-time job for them. Yeah. So they need to get paid. Yeah, and so, like I think we get what Shannon gets away with it because we're editorial. So it'd be like PR, like, oh, do an Instagram takeover or like stop by and do this or QA. But then when you're talking about an, a consumer facing brand that has, or perception wise, has deep pockets, and you go to an influencer and say, we want you, and then throughout the day, send us pictures. It won't be like you're on our Instagram, but we're, it's, we're saying it's an Instagram takeover. Like at that point, if they're posting on their Instagram, hey, go follow this other account that's a consumer facing brand because I'm going to be there all day. Like that's a transaction. So I just feel like I, I said to my friend, I pushed back, I go, listen, it would typically be this amount. I think you, even just to say an honorarium say, listen, we don't have a huge budget, but out of respect, here's a little bit of an honorarium because we know this is something that you should be paid for. And we're going to try to make it work in the future or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like there's like a handful of select brands that are getting it now but the majority of them are still kind of falling in bed i'm hiring a talent but they don't really or i'm giving you free stuff but then you're like but that's time either i'm going to just spend on my that's my own time right and it's it, yeah if you're just going to provide experience and say at will do what you want if you give it love use this this and that that's one thing but if you're going to say no you need to put this much content up that is work. that's work right so yeah, that's that's the thing. Justin Bieber concerts and <laughs> free stuff doesn't pay the rent. Yeah, I mean that's a thing. So, 
And I, and we deal with this because we work with brands. We do influencer amplification all the time. And listen, like we, you know, we need to make money from this too. But you need to respect that. Like if if we're going to be in a business of helping talent and like we're part of that business model, like we we need to push for that too. And we need to also pay influencers. Do you, do you think that's just something that comes with time, or do you think there's an actual solution to how to fix that sort of disconnect there? I think it's just more communication between like it's, it's hard. Cause I don't think, Oh, the union, like I feel like if you create rules, like the whole thing that I, we, I think everyone loved about this space is that there are no rules in that. And even no rules in terms of the rates that people have. So you could create something high, low, sometimes you could have your minimums, but then obviously if it's something you like, you could go a bit lower. I feel like if we, it becomes like a union thing, I don't know. I think that'd be good for, to protect the middle well i guess that's what unions are but like the one percent still are going to want to play by their own rules i was thinking maybe not even like a union but like almost if there was like an imdb pro well there well there is the blue book or whatever which i just feel like all these these (laughs) things are stupid because i feel like you could have a million followers but the quality is low but then you could have fifty thousand, and it's super high so for a brand to look at that and say okay well the million followers deserves ten thousand, and you deserve one thousand you know, I don't know. Yeah, perhaps they're looking at the wrong metrics. What are the things that you think are important in, in evaluating how a brand should work with an influencer? I think it's not just, yeah, it could be like sometimes brands literally, and this is also what's frustrating, they'll be like, we just want impressions right now. And like this many followers. They look at it as a paid media buy. Which is yeah, funny. which it's an int- it's a modern day paid media buy. At the same time, if, if you're saying, okay, what's your goal? Click throughs to this, like, is it more views? Like that, so media impressions isn't going to work because some of those influencers might have a ton of followers but they're not the types that would click through to this or buy into this exactly so it's you have to ask what's the goal that's why we always say impressions are not created equal there's a big difference between a paid impression and something that happens yeah. organically because but, of and what's your goal is and some of them are just impressions they're like we just want this in front of as many people possible sure. then i love the brands that after the fact was are like well why are more people watching the video well was that the goal you said you wanted the impressions and then you want this or why aren't they clicking through to this? And you're like, well, we shouldn't have gotten those people if that's what you, if that was the priority. And so that's, you know, a bit annoying. And then what happens is it comes out of your, if they're like, well, you need to do a make good. It's like comes out of, you know, our pocket, which, you know, if anything, it should be, okay, you give them, if, let's prove this out together as a team. There should be a bit more budget for that. So how do you manage expectations appropriately with brands? That's what Gabrielle is for. <laughs> works with me. No, I think it's very, being very clear from the beginning. What what is their goal? What do they? What is their return on ROI? Like, what do they need to show in their recap and their report at the end of the day? What do they need to show? And I think from there you could then work backwards. Work backwards. Like that's how I feel. Because if you just start from like, whoa, here's a cool influencer. He's really hot. Like that doesn't mean anything. So recipe for. A, a disaster. Brand deal gone, gone terribly bad. Exactly. And then sometimes you, you know, the brand, this is also what I get, like a brand partner wants this big star, but then the budget, they don't have the budget. Or they'll have the budget, but they don't realize you take some percentage off of that too, because you're not working for free. So like, what's trending? We need to make money. We're like handholding this process for months sometimes. So like, how are we going to make money in this? And they'll be like, but I thought that all that budget was just going to that person. And you're like, No. So, yeah, that, that's annoying when they have their sights set on one influencer and they won't think of anyone else 
And you're like, but that person's not available. They don't want to do it. The budget's not there. Well, what do we need to do to get to that budget? I don't know. Like, what do we... And then you have to keep going back and forth. Or the best is when, after you've gotten someone to say yes, they add, well, can you ask them if they can do this too within your budget? And you're like, no, that's not how it works. You can't go back after you've already yeah. done an ask. Very familiar with that. Because then you lose leverage. Yeah. So it's all these... It's like a negotiation tactics one-on-one. <laughs> exactly. So do you have any advice for those who are working in traditional today that want to get their feet wet in digital? Ask a lot of questions. I think, yeah, surround yourself by different people. Find your own mentors. Like even if you're a veteran, find different companies and people that are doing interesting things that inspire you in the places that you want to be as well. And I would say sit down, get their insights. You know, I would say just get going. Like don't, don't wait for months or years to get an idea or a plan going. Um, be open to experimentation. That's what's great about digital. Like whereas TV, it was like focus groups and uh, testing where it would be like, well, let's test this for three months and then make a decision three months later, six months later. In online digital, you have all the data and tools. And so I would get, get comfortable with data, yeah. which is hard as a creative. Trust me, I even have my own issues. That's why I'm like, I just want to hire someone in audience development to handle that. And I tell my staff also, like, get comfortable with data. Like, it is your best friend. It sometimes sucks because it's not what you want to see or hear. But it can help you figure out what works, what doesn't. A-B testing and then collaboration like is key, but not just collaboration one-sided like, Oh, what can you do for me? But figure out what you can do for the person on the other end. Even if I think that a lot of traditionals look at that person on the other end and there's that like bitter resentment, like, Oh, you come in here in two years, you're like a star now. And you, you think you're shit, like the big <laughs> shit. And I've been in this for 10 years, 20 years. And so then when you want to collaborate, it's like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll be in your video. And you're like, well, what can you do? What can we do for you? Like, I don't know. There, there needs to be a balance. Right. You need to be open to it. And you need to, a lot of times also, you need to trust that if you're working with someone, a company that's been in digital or an influencer, like they know their audience and what works. And so you need to kind of let them lead you in a way, even if you're a veteran. What are some of the interesting trends that you're seeing kind of moving forward for 2016 or even... Yeah, Facebook video. Oh my God, I'm kind of like so <laughs> sick of it. I can't believe it. But the funny thing is six months ago, I was like, it wasn't there. And yet now everyone's businesses Everyone are like planning for it. it. Yeah. So definitely that Facebook video live on Facebook specifically. I think live in general, which is like funny because we were live. You're doing that. We were live five years ago. Sure, yeah. Why live on Facebook instead I think of Twitch or YouTube and other platforms? Uh, Twitch I do think is good, but for specific content like gaming. So I don't know as much if like talk show or talk would mm-hmm. be good on Twitch. They started branding out into branding yeah out into or music. Yeah. I agree. I just don't know if their audience they already have really cares as much, and that's a thing. Gaming, right? I think Facebook. I found, and a lot of people are finding, it's just more easy for discoverability around live. Like if you're following someone around, following a page or brand, like the live will pop up right at the top of your feed. They've just made it very easy to discover it. Yeah. If you're if you've liked a page already, yeah. and the conversion that we're seeing, like we're seeing more views live on Facebook than we've had in the past, and that's without any sort of really focus or development on that, wow. just experimentation. What do you think about Periscope and You Now? I like the community for You Now. I think what they've done is pretty good. I mean, like considering they're, I think, one of the leaders there in terms of live and community. 
I just, I do think it's a younger community. That's the one thing. And like, like, so it depends what, what your focus and goal is. But like the thing is with Facebook, if they're going to be giving love to people that are going live and native and all that, and that's where advertisers are looking to. So they're looking at your numbers on Facebook. You want to hunker down on that. For me, like the debate is, do I hunker down on Facebook? Do I hunker down on the new now? Am I selling against you now right now? Is, you know, besides like, oh, the little, I tips. guess, tips. Yeah, like that's like for a person as yeah. a company, you're not necessarily going to be like tip us right now. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the issue. I think as a person, yeah. But if Facebook is favoring creators that go live on Facebook, then... I think that people end up doing that. And if they've already built up a million followers, say. So I I think it's definitely going to be a competition between both. And it depends, like, what audience you want to target. And then Periscope, I guess, with integrating more into Twitter is going to be helpful. But the engagement on Twitter isn't enough that I don't know if it's going to matter. Like, when when you go through your feed, it's not like you really register things as much as you do when you're on Facebook. Right. You're more likely just to scroll quickly than yeah. Facebook. You, you've now gotten used to like watching quick video or reading through something. Right. And the audience is just different. The engagement is different. Snapchat also, it's, I mean, something I've, I'm aware of. Like, I love it personally. I, I've heard their Discover platform isn't doing necessarily like well. However, the money, there's so much money there. So well, they've got the they've got the buzziest name I think in terms yeah. of social media. So everyone is wanting to buy yeah. Everyone will yeah put their mark. Yeah, they'll be like oh we'll put some of this money there so we could just see how it works. Right. Because I do think for events like people are still checking what's happening on Snapchat. Like I love when there's a big event seeing all of the snaps yep. around it. So as a brand, how do you work your brand into that? And I and it's very young. It's young girls. So. You know, it, how does it, and now this news, like, I wonder what their, <laughs> their engagement is like. For, for yeah, because I know some of the best ones are, like, the teen or Cosmopolitan mm-hmm. is doing the best out of everyone, mm-hmm. and there's a reason. So we're trying to figure that out, and I think if we did that, we'd, we'd partner with a, another company who's focused on Snapchat yeah. to do it. I'm trying to think of what else. So we've got, yeah, GIFs, I love GIFs. Okay. Twitter or GIFs do very well for engagement. GIFs overall. Like, I love their integration of Jiffy. Or Giphy, whatever. Oh, whatever you say. Into the... the Yeah, I really like that, yeah. You guys do anything in VR or... Oh, yeah, 360. More 360. That's the thing is people mistake VR and 360. They, -hmm. they, even though... You use them interchangeably. Yeah. Immersive video, but it... it Yeah, I think for us, more 360 because we're Mm -hmm. more about unscripted experiences. You guys are at events. So, yeah. So, we're looking at how, yeah, we can bring those experiences or like 360 to event programming we have a music series that we want to do in 360 all that type of stuff obviously it requires investment and resources so who can we partner as a brand to do that so we're, we're definitely thinking about that what's coming next do you have any predictions for the future of the space predictions i think more of everything without even understanding why <laughs> more noise more. no i think that more talent you know oh my god i'm like gonna say the same thing everyone else more talent doing collaborations with bigger brands bigger traditional companies but not like i think we're in a place with talent where they're not going to forget about like their platform obviously like they are the media right they are the distribution so we're going to see a lot more coming up or you know it's but it's funny there's also some talent that don't care anymore and i think we're going to see that trend too talent that are like i don't need you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're going to start their own companies and some talent are doing it the smart ones 
I think that hopefully we'll be seeing brands buying more media against social and against influencers on social. 360 definitely, even though I'm like wondering how much it will be uh, adopted mm-hmm. by consumers. I think it's really hot. I mean, I do think 360 like on Facebook and YouTube where you can just, you don't need to put on go- like mm-hmm. the goggles headset, but you could just play with it on your phone on your own. I think that's much more easy right. and accessible. Think, um, However, if everyone's on their TV, how does it work there? I guess you could move it around with your remote or something. Yeah, there's a remote feature. Yeah, it's all about the device. Yeah, it's like if people don't have the right devices or the I know. whatever to watch it, then how far can it really spread? Yeah, so, so that's the thing. It's like I don't think everyone's going to be watching right. Until it. that happens first, then yeah. the content will come after. And... Yeah, I'm interested to see between Facebook and Snapchat what happens in live. Like we hopefully we're um, trying to pitch out a live daily talk show on Facebook right now. So look out for that. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see you in brand teaser. partners. Teaser alert. Yeah. And we have uh, our Tubeathon April 20th, which is our it's like our Jerry Lewis telethon for the, the digital age. We're raising awareness and money for the Red Cross oh, that's great. at the iHeart Theater. And we'll be live on Twitch, actually, so they're our partner for that. So that's something like that that makes sense. The thing is about Facebook Live, and it, that will change, but it's only through your phone. So it's fun to experiment mm-hmm. for, like, on the go, or if we do a talk show, it's like it could happen anywhere, but you're not going to do a switcher and everything. I'm sure that will change. Yeah. Uh, so we will be going live on Twitch, because right now they also have, I would say, some of the biggest engagement. If you're a front page, some of the, like, they have one of the best communities out there for live. Fantastic. That sounds like an awesome event. Yeah, you you will be invited. When is it again? April 20th. Tubathon. Yeah. Look out for it. If you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do and why? Oh God. Depends what you want to do. I guess focus. Like, what do you want to try to solve? And then focus on that. And I think don't be distracted by all these shiny things around you. There's so many new things that pop up or ish, you know issues or platforms that try to draw you in and and it could change your model. And I think you really need to not be distracted this day and age. Have a clear vision. Yeah, have a very clear vision. And I think have a great support team around you that gets it, that believes in that as well and lives and breathes it because we're just in a time that, just like any startup, but I think when we're in a time where techie, technologists and creatives are coming together. So you really Especially have to make sure you're on, yeah, you're on the same page. And I think creatives in the past, like, well, yeah, like the hours of... TV production and film are crazy. It's just a different thing. You have a beginning, middle, and end. You have rap. When you're building a company, there's no rap. <laughs> it's just the next project, the next day, yeah. the next campaign. Yeah. And yeah, building the business model around that. And I also think that the whole influencer craze and fad, I'm hoping that we can all focus more on product and vision instead of thinking like one influencer is going to change. Like one influencer promoting your product or thing is not going to change. It's not going to change. You can maybe get, you know, some more downloads that day, but they won't be like necessarily active users. So I'm hoping we can get out of that perception. Yeah. That mindset, because it also makes it, it's a bad look on the talent too, because if they don't, Deliver on Deliver, it. yeah, but it's not realistic. The expectations were mismanaged. Yeah, because the thing is, the talent will do it for their own things because that's what they're focusing on. It's their baby. <laughs> and then if they raise, whether it be a charity, they'll raise like, oh, half a million. That's their birthday charity. That's the thing they focus all year on. Right. Or say they're, you know, a video campaign or a tour, and then they get asked to be part of something, and then that company, even if they said in a contract, you need to promote it this many times, and this is what we need, it's just not going to be the same as when it's on someone else's own platform.
Well, I, I love that you mentioned vision, focus, and getting a great team around you. Has that been the recipe for success at What's Trending? I think we're always trying to figure that out. I think actually that's where we've faulted because we started out something so different, but like what's, we've always been open to shifts and change because I, as the, as the founder, love this space. So no matter what, I'm like, I want to figure out a way to make it work. So I think that passion and resilience, that's what keeps people attracted to the brand and company. We keep on, and, and we, we take what we do seriously. And I, people see through, see that even if we haven't necessarily scaled or like aggressively grown, they believe there's something there because we've been in it from the beginning. And so it comes from a very real place. But I think that that's where, like, I wish we had sometimes a more like we had a clear long-term vision from the beginning, but we just started in a different time. So I think like, yeah, if we were starting again, it would just be so different. Yeah, I had a co-founder that, you know, left. So it's like I was on my own. So like that definitely. And now as I'm building on my team again, every time I add one person at that level, that's not as much like below me as, you know, my team or my employees are, you know, lower. I hate saying this lower level. They're awesome people, but you know, they're staff. Whereas like C-level, like people that have like built companies and been execs at different companies. When, when you have conversations at that level, it's so different and actually gets me excited about what I'm doing. Cause then I see with their help, I believe it's more possible than without their help. So I, I do think that as that comes together more and more within our company, even I see more success. I just wish, yeah, I wish we had had that more from the beginning, but I'm learning. And that's also, I would say like, be open to learning. Don't be too stubborn, be stubborn, but not too stubborn. Yeah. No, you're a fighter. I can tell. And that's, that's <laughs> critical to success. Yeah. In game. So yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's difficult. Like I see a lot of people that are super excited about their ideas at the beginning. And like, I get, I'm like, wow, that's a good idea. And then months later, it's just like all really hard. But like you said before, no one knows anything. There are no rules and everyone's yeah. like have their own agenda. So I'm jealous about some people that be like, we're worth this. We need this amount of money. And we're like, <laughs> and they're so, it's almost like they're so, what's the word? This is such a bad pot. I'm like, what's the word? <laughs> they uh, are so charming, charming almost with mm-hmm. their pitch. Right. And you believe, they're so believable. You're like, sure. yes. Like I'm jealous of those people. I wear my hard on my sleeve. Like you would see my emotions on my face if things are going well or not mm-hmm. going well. But luckily I am pretty positive and glass hat full. Mm-hmm. I think it comes back to your authenticity. Right? <laughs> Thanks. And then I think they see that and they're like, yeah, you mean well, like you're in it to win it. But then I am jealous of those people that are like the talkers. They could close in the room and right. like they could throw out numbers that don't even make sense what they do. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. You know, like Mad Men style. Sure. And yes. I meet these, those people and some people see through those people too. But then they're like, oh, uh, there's one person I know that has this company. And like every time he talks to me, it's like, things are amazing. We've reached this, this, that. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I'm like, everything is so amazing. I'm like, is there, and then I want to almost ask, like, is there anything bad happening? Yeah. Like, <laughs> not that I want to look out for that, but it just feels so fake. Like we're all mm-hmm. human. And the process of building companies is not easy, but then there's everything's so amazing. It's almost a red flag. I agree. Yeah. From what I've seen, I mean, just in my experience, I feel like everyone has those same problems. That the problems that are endemic to your company are probably the same problems that he's got. Yeah. But they just choose to portray. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of who they are. Like when we talk about being authentic, 
you're authentic because you wear your heart and sleep. They're authentic because they're just a salesperson or a salesman. Yeah. Company. And they'll be like, yeah, we're going to like raise this. And I'm like, wow. Like a part <laughs> of me is like, I want you on my team. <laughs> At the same time, I want to make sure you can be a normal human being, not a sociopath. Yeah. But, oh, it's funny. Speaking of which, like everyone is kind of going through similar things. There was a great article in the New York Times about millennials in the workplace, which I'm like, I guess on the edge of millennial. I, I am a millennial, but it was talking about Mike.com, this news millennial news site, and just the issues with staffing that they had, how they're a site for millennials and so, and they're hiring millennials, but they're having issues of maintaining and dealing with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'd like talk to a one guy that was so burnt out. And he like lied to his boss about taking vacation, saying like someone died in his family and then tweets actually tweeted, which is weird. Like, Oh, lied to my boss that I had a death in the family, which is one weird that they would call that out in New York times article. That's really <laughs> awkward. And I would feel really embarrassed because yeah. he actually, they said the name of the person. Oh jeez. <laughs> and then just like little things like comp, uh, how you'd have a, a meeting you know, a staff meeting and have someone coming up to you at the end being like, I really didn't appreciate that. You should apologize to me right now. And just like this lack of empathy for like, I think thinking you're, you know, just because you're being authoritative or quick because there's a lot going on when you're a boss or a founder, your team might look at it as like, oh, you're not being sensitive. You don't care. I don't feel heard. And I'm very sensitive to that. And I have to tell them sometimes like you realize like this is not personal. I'm just running a mile a minute. Right. You got to get people the benefit of the doubt. You also have to get people that kind of get you. It's like a relationship, like a boyfriend mm-hmm. being like, why are you always like late or like you're always working. This is really annoying. And you're like, well, you kind of knew what you were getting into right. going into right. it. This is so, what it is. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. You either like are easy and make my life easier or you make it more difficult. So it's about, you know, and I'm sensitive to that, but I guess I've been around crazy people my whole life. Like I've been around <laughs> fucking such crazy people where I like didn't even expect they were like, I kind of was like, this is who they are. And like, I'm not going to push them. And there were some people I knew that were super cool and like talkative and social as bosses or people that were hot, you know, my seniors or there are people that I knew they're really busy. And when I in the, I'm in the room, I need to like, I take 10 minutes of time and then I'm out. I need to focus, not get distracted. I think this day and age, it's like, you're more questioned. You're like, why are you like that though? I don't want you to be like that. I'm not in the mood to do this in 10 minutes with you. I want 30 minutes of your time. And you're like, okay. So this article was like giving a lot of references to that. Is it um, in your times? Yeah. It's a really good article. Yeah. It's fu- And Gabrielle who works with me sent it to me. They're like, and she's like, oh, this is maybe stuff that we've been going through right. or this sounds familiar. And it's, it's We're all on the same journey. So yeah. Well, Shira, this has been incredibly illuminating. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, about sh- at Shira Lazar, Facebook.com slash Shira Lazar, YouTube.com slash Shira Lazar, and What's Trending.com, Facebook.com slash What's Trending, Twitter.com slash What's Trending, and YouTube.com slash What's Trending. Perfect. I hope everybody helped. <laughs> Just Shira What's Trending, what's Shira Lazar. We own everything across the board, across all over the social platforms. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thank really you. Really enjoyed having you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Bye.